0: Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week, we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm here today uh, with uh, someone that I've had the pleasure to get to know um, in my heart rate variability uh, journey and really excited uh, to have Dr. Saul Rosenthal on the show today to talk about both his work in heart rate variability and a little bit, maybe we'll have a lot of time to touch on it, but uh, I'm really excited. And I, I reached out not only to get Saul's expertise on the podcast, but also talk about his work uh, with long haul COVID uh, as well because it's a topic I see popping up quite a bit um, and heart rate variability seems to be a good metric to use with this population. Uh, so excited to have Saul's expertise on the show to discuss that. So Saul, before we get going, uh, just a brief introduction of, of you to to our audience.
1: Oh sure, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on on the podcast. Uh, I I listen to it um, and really get a lot out of it out uh, out of it. Uh, I'm a health psychologist. I'm I'm in the Boston area, and I've been practicing over about two decades or so. Um, started as a research psychologist and then retrained as a clinician up here in Boston. Uh, really focused on health, what's now called health psychology. Uh, it was. Behavioral medicine um, back back in the day, uh, and I trained at at the Cambridge Health Alliance, which is part of of uh, the Harvard Medical School uh, in their behavioral medicine. I eventually went back there. I actually w- worked there as uh, their training director and and um, biofeedback coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've worked in a few different healthcare um, settings, both primary care and uh, uh, specialty care uh, veterans, veterans administration, medical centers, uh, as well as, uh, primarily right now I'm doing private practice. I, I do some, some teaching and, and supervision, uh, mentoring, uh, for people getting trained in, in biofeedback. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I do host a podcast as well. Uh, this is for the, the Northeast region biofeedback, uh, society. I should put my plug in for that. And that's absolutely uh, healthy brain, healthy brain, happy body is what we call it. So That's in its second year now.
0: Awesome. Congratulations for getting to year two, too. Uh, As as I was like to remind myself, most podcasts don't make it past episode eight. Exactly. uh, (laughs) 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 Well, hey, I appreciate you being on here. And I'd love to know... Obviously, health psychology, a lot of ways that heart rate variability might fit into there, but when did you sort of uh, come across heart rate variability and how have you really integrated it into your uh, thinking? Obviously, as a biofeedback practitioner, it's a big part of it now, but I'd love to just hear a little bit about your journey uh, with um, discovering heart rate variability and then how it's sort of been integrated into, uh, you know, your, your work on health psychology.
1: Well, I was fortunate enough that as a postdoc at the Cambridge Health Alliance, we were trained in biofeedback. Oh, that's and awesome. this was um, 1999, 2000-ish. Uh, so at least in the US, heart rate variability had kind of come to the US um, uh, with Paul Lair, brought yeah. it in nine, the early nineties, went to Russia where they were using it. Um, so I was trained, it was part of, of our BCI training as a postdoc. so I, I, I've certainly been known about it and used yeah. it for for many years. And clearly, it's you know it was very clearly a, a powerful approach. Um, and primarily, I think for the same reasons it still is. One, it's compared to the other uh, modalities, it is relatively easy to change yeah. because it's all respiration driven. And it has such a powerful effect on lots of different conditions uh in fact i think at least in my mind and, and i th- i hope within the larger healthcare field i think things like heart rate variability help us to think more about uh conditions well less less about them diagnostically and more about what it means to be dysregulated yeah i think yeah, that's absolutely. been a really yeah
0: absolutely and so Bringing us then to, you know, you know, in, in a great workshop at AAPB, I was able, it was one of those that I got caught in the hallway and I had to like poke my head in and uh, mm-hmm. wished I could be two places at once. But uh, I, I was so intrigued. I really wanted to to have you talk because long COVID, long haul COVID, um, you know, with, with the interactions I have, you know, through Optimal with people who are looking, uh, I'm I, I, I would say the word desperation is not too strong for some of the folks that that i come across it's it's a uh, frustration would also be another word of why do i still feel like this um, and you know we're we're, we're seeing uh, this kind of devastating effect and it obviously it hits everybody a little bit differently uh the severity of symptoms but just kind of love to say, see kind of uh, your thinking around heart rate variability, heart rate variability, biofeedback, and uh, uh, kind of our evolving understanding of this condition. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of uh, just kind of throw it out there generally is how do you conceptualize this? And then, you know, where, where's the role heart rate, uh, you know, uh, biofeedback, heart rate variability, biofeedback might play?
1: I Well, the long COVID issue is is complex, of course. Uh, it, complex medically, it's it's complex psychosocially, um, since there yeah. are all sorts of thoughts and feelings about it. It's complex medically in part because there are over two hundred potential documented symptoms, yeah. uh, and so even 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 sort of figuring out what it is is difficult. What it primarily seems to affect is uh, pulmonary functioning Mm -hmm. uh, seems to be a major one. Uh, Also, cognitive functioning. Those are sort of the two two of the biggies. Uh, A a large proportion of people who who seem to have long COVID also show dysautonomia of some sort or other. That is, the autonomic nervous system is dysregulated, and that often shows up as POTS, uh, I think about 80%. Uh, The statistic may be right. Eighty percent of people with long COVID have um, postural uh, tachycardia, POTS. So clearly, could you describe that a little bit for those of us who might not be as familiar with that uh, condition? Sure, sure. Sorry, it's 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 a term. and I forget what the POTS stands for. I know this postural, <laughs> no worries, orthostatic oh, I, I, I will, I will <laughs> tachycardia syndrome or something. Uh, but basically, you stand up and your heart rate zooms. Um, it goes into tachycardia, and um, symptoms of it are a lot of dizziness, a lot of fog, uh, brain fog. Uh, but it can it can be so bad that you it's hard to stand up and walk around. Yeah. Uh, so so it's it's a it's it's a symptom uh, or a condition itself. That can be really problematic. So obviously, there's an autonomic component to it, yeah. and anything that has an autonomic component, heart rate variability is a is a really nice intervention to try out there. Yeah. And, and so we're starting to to do that. Um, uh, um, Sherry Johansson is probably the is probably the expert in using biofeedback and neurofeedback as well um jay gunkelman has been talking about the neurofeedback side of things with long covid uh, and how to think about it but clearly there is this autonomic dysregulation that is part of the syndrome and there's some theories about why that is and what the virus does uh, but basically it seems to to really um upend people's autonomic functioning so we see a lot of this yeah. tachycardia um might see uh, a certain amount of just general dizziness, hyperventilation sorts of things. So there's a lot of symptoms that come in. And of course, heart rate variability is a really nice intervention to use. Um, I I believe that there is some published research on this uh, that people who who have post COVID um, or long COVID uh, do show reduced levels, uh, reduced heart rate variability indices yeah. So, like other conditions like this, it seems to affect it, and so it would make sense to try to train it back up.
0: So, so let me ask uh, maybe just a totally uninformed question, but but I think it's one of those that that uh, you know I, I think a lot of us are kind of struggling with. This. So there's there's COVID, um, and and the words like cytokine and cortisol, and especially cytokines, something we we've talked a lot about um, on here, and the higher rates during you know, stress, or uh, obviously we see escalated rates during COVID and other disease states. And so as long haul COVID, and I'll just throw my ignorance on the table here, is you you have this residual effect of a disease, a virus, um, Mm -hmm. which I would assume is that long haul state is somehow still associated with the effects of of the virus. Um, And again, this is a a master's in psychology talking healthcare. Um uh, and then you do heart rate variability, biofeedback. Are, are we kind of looking to address one of the symptoms of long haul COVID? Are we are we trying to help cure the 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 condition? Like where where are we because the the virus and the disease state I don't think would be cured, uh, strong word there, by biofeedback, just kind of how are you conceptualizing this? uh, Because it's gotta be better than uh, my struggles too.
1: Well, I I think your struggles are shared by many people who know a lot more than either of us do about (laughs) the condition. We're still not sure. There's still a lot of of uncertainty and mystery, if you will, to it. But it, it seems to be, like you're saying, the impact of the virus the impact doesn't go away when the virus goes away. Yeah, and so uh, how do we deal with that is really a, a huge question in healthcare. It's it's affecting millions of people and costing millions of dollars at least. Yeah. Um, the the answer to how do we you know are we curing this or what are we doing about this? One of the um, uh, to, one of the ways that I conceive or conceptualize biofeedback is we don't have to actually answer that question. Yeah, Uh, we can sidestep it because we're not curing, we're not even really treating things. One, technically speaking, we are training the nervous system, Mm -hmm. and a better trained nervous system that is a nervous system that is better self-regulating, we should experience what we call symptoms less. You know, symptoms are to some extent the result, or symptoms of of this kind of condition are, are, are are to some extent the result of dysregulated physiological functioning Mm -hmm. so if we can better regulate the physiology we should have fewer symptoms so it's it's a a bit of a cop-out perhaps a bit of a sidestep, but it's a it's it's probably technically accurate so
0: excellent so uh, another one of the things that's fascinated me and and please for the audience don't hear that i'm trying to make uh, a big announcement of i figured this out but but one of the things that i've i've really just again, let's call it fascination, is an area of expertise that I, I, I could claim to hold, unlike with uh, the COVID arena, is around um, long-term kind of chronic burnout. And I see s- so many similarities between some of, a lot of the symptoms of long-haul COVID, the brain fog, for example, low energy i mean i'm not going to say there's a direct correlation or even get close to causation but but it, it seems like there's so many similarities that, that i'm just fascinated by you know that this how both uh a maybe a, a work stressor or other psychological life stressor and covid might be in some ways i mean they're both you know dysregulating the autonomic nervous system measured with heart rate variability but it just seems so interesting how those line up in such a way. And, I, and you know, I, I'm just kind of wondering, are, are we seeing maybe both of these hitting the same system in similar ways or just kind of a, a or no or kind of an open question mark um, of, of what we are really seeing with the long haul COVID?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, it certainly would I'm curious about what you th- what you think from your expertise in burnout. Uh, but again, I think that, that to some extent, this is the the um, part of the power of of biofeedback, heart rate variability, biofeedback, and other types, which is we don't we don't have to get stuck in the diagnosis. We are really looking at what is going on, mm-hmm. whether you want to call it functional. I know in some some in some realms that's a good word, in some words that's not a good word. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to just look at well, what what are we seeing overtly? And if we are able to improve, uh, if we're able to improve uh, brain fog or, or or dizziness, at some level, the, the client, the patient may not care what right. the diagnosis says. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit, I mean, my background as, as a research psychologist, I, I care about those things, but I also know that I may care about them differently than the person I'm working with. Yeah.
0: They just want to feel better.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is often the case.
0: Yeah. So so when you when you work with folks uh, with with uh long haul covid uh, is the protocol for the biofeedback are you adjusting anything you're doing let's say i come in for an anxiety disorder uh you know are are you kind of working with you know the long haul folks in similar ways Do you have a separate protocol uh for for them sort of well, what is your approach um, yeah. to that. Is there anything, I guess, different than uh, what it might look like uh, for for someone coming in for maybe an anxiety disorder or another condition?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a really important question um, and because I think it's really important for us to look at differences among conditions and how they present and how they respond as well as the sort of individual differences from person to person because yeah. uh, i know it, it, it's it's easy to with with heart rate variability just to sort of say okay breathe at you know four seconds in six seconds out and and all will be fine uh and there's a lot of truth to that uh-huh. I, I i don't i don't really want to disparage that i i do that myself with with folks that said um i i think that there are some conditions you need to be a little more careful about and and, and the long COVID is one of those yeah the 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 closest um, uh, condition or the most similar condition is 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 post concussive syndrome. And there are some similarities there. So when I work with these folks, I'm doing it. I tend to do it a lot more slowly. I'm a lot okay. more sensitive to change because the system is is not just dysregulated, but it's a little bit, um, I guess fragile mm. is sort of the word. So you can easily yeah. push someone over to have. A migraine or to go into dizziness or to a tachycardia. So you just want to really be careful and a little bit more gentle and just keep things a little bit more slowly. So so with these folks, I'm not just doing heart rate variability. I may be doing other types of biofeedback. I'm often, often doing neurofeedback as well because there are so many cognitive effects. Yeah. But these things all work in conjunction or you you want to use things that work in conjunction. And so and, just and, yeah, go slowing ahead. So, it down. Yeah. I, I was just going to say just slowing it down.
0: So do you, are you gaining any insight when you bring the neurofeedback piece in, into this? Like, are, are you seeing, I, just any insight, let me just put it that way. Like again, for a, a disease state that we're still trying to figure out, um, are you are you seeing when you combine that with what you're getting about heart rate variability with biofeedback, does that add any insight to the brain fog um, and other things people are are experiencing?
1: I would argue it does. Um, I, I don't think there's. I don't think there's data out there. I think there's some thinking about it, um, and again, sort of going with the idea that it's similar to concussion, in which there is issues with nutrition and blood flow uh, hmm. within the brain, which may lead to the migraine, may lead to um, uh, some of the brain fog and, co- and cognitive dysregulation. But some of that is because of dysregulated autonomic functioning. And so the way that we think that um heart rate variability may be helpful is that it it sort of sets the stage for the neural feedback in some ways in that it starts to calm to regulate that ner- nervous system and so we may be able to m- be a little bit more efficient with the uh, with the, the the neural feedback. So you know as you probably know there's there's more neurotracks going from the heart to the brain than from yeah. the brain to the heart. So there's a lot of information right that yeah. the autonomic nervous system is sending upwards. And that's important.
0: Yeah, fascinating. So, I mean, I, I just think I, I could, I, I'm gonna need like a week or two to process it before. Like, you know, looking at long haul COVID and concussive symptoms and seeing very similar stuff on, on neurofeedback. I, I think it's just, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating in, in so many ways um, you know, and I think hopefully give some of the patients who are dealing with this some some, some way to conceptualize something that I don't think the medical industry is, def- given them, we don't have concrete answers yet, but that yeah. that similarity um, has got to at least give some because I think we all know what a concussion is, um, whether you've experienced it or not uh, to be so I, I just find that absolutely fascinating that a yeah. virus can lead to very similar uh, symptoms of
1: that. And, and again, the pathophysiology is probably different. Yeah. But for what we're doing, I think it's a, it's a useful model to follow. And so I think when we use heart rate variability, thinking about it as stabilizing a nervous system that's a little shaky is really helpful. And I think that really helps the patients because that's their experience is that you know, life was fine. They got this virus and now suddenly they can't walk out the door yeah. without falling over because of dizziness. And so it's really, uh, it, it just has such a big impact on people's lives. And we can offer this intervention, which is relatively, and emphasis on the word relatively, um, easy to engage with yeah. and can have this really uh, profound effect.
0: Awesome. So this is a very in the weeds question, but, but I, I got, I'm just fascinated with it as we look at, you know, lo- establishing folks, residence frequency breathing, which I'm assuming you do uh, mm-hmm. with, with when you, you bring them in. Our, and just for our audience that might not be familiar with that term and, and Saul so jump in here as, as you have more expertise of this than I do, but really looking for like what breathing rate really, weeks uh that their uh low frequency or their heart rate variability in layman's terms so we're looking at that breathing rate that you know uh best you know uh, you know increases their heart rate variability that they can use Then in their own practice you know i i just i'm curious and and this may be a question without answer but if somebody in like with long-haul covid might we get a different residence frequency, a different peak, you know, because of that disease state than they would be maybe before they had COVID. And mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, are we, because yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I'll just leave it at that. Cause I, I, I just feel like it does that change maybe where that breathing rate is. And would that adjust over time where normally I believe we say with residence frequency, we don't see much of a change with adults, Typically, um, you know, do, do you is is that even a good question to ask?
1: I guess. Um, I think it's a good question to ask. I don't think we have the answer to it okay. because we don't have pre and post. I mean, I think what what people like Paul Lair would say is it doesn't really change much. Yeah. Um, but that said, what I do find, and again, there's no data on this. It's just my clinical experience, for what it's worth, is that uh, people who have long COVID. Find it harder to tolerate slower breathing. So there, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a of a of a patient I was working with in in particular who, um, uh, who the the um, resonance frequency that is the, the the frequency the respiration rate that sort of optimizes heart rate variability yeah. as you were saying, was about five and a half breaths a minute, and sort of the rule of thumb is six. Yeah. But the, the, they couldn't tolerate breathing that slowly. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell them to. Breathe more slowly than I could tolerate. I won't right. see them again. It won't be helpful. So but th- that is interesting I, I found, that that was yeah.
0: still even though they they had trouble tolerating it,
1: was, it. Right. That it was that was would probably optimal...
0: support Paul's you know sort of. Thinking. I think so. I yeah. think so. Uh,
1: and and so again that 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 sort of falls into to my idea of you just need to be a little bit sensitive, a little bit more sensitive than you typically would be with these folks, that they just are having a harder time than even they. Understand until they start doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I maybe the most important question is what What are some of the results that you're seeing from this? As as you have people go through biofeedback, just I, I'm very fascinated with you know what What are you What are
1: you seeing as folks go through go through treatment? So, what I'm often seeing with success is the the dizziness starts to go away first that's often the first thing that happens and then you start to see how connected dizziness is to so many other things including anxiety which makes dizziness worse so it becomes this feedback loop so i'm often seeing uh improvements with dizziness there'll be some uh improvements with sleep uh with functioning in general the the sort of things you would expect to see with with heart rate variability, you know, again, we're trying, we're stabilizing the autonomic nervous system, and they're starting to get a little bit more functional. There's, there's a lot of other things going on with, with long COVID that um, they may need more treatment for. Uh, As I was saying, there's pulmonary issues. Oftentimes there's brain issues that we're not entirely clear about, but it's, again, I I think of, of heart rate variability often as setting the st- stage for further intervention and treatment for these complex conditions. So there's yeah. obviously many things you just use heart rate variability for, you know, this, this may, maybe one of them for some people, but I think for the majority, they're going to need other interventions.
0: Okay. That, that's, that's, I think that's really critical too, because again, regulating a dysregulated nervous system, whether that's by a psychological stress or trauma or a, a virus or an infection, you know, I think that that's, you know, as, as a key component to that healing for folks. Um, and I would imagine, I I've I wondered if more of a, a question is, you're giving people something to do that is at least helping, which my my conversations with individuals who are struggling with this is, again, frustration, hopelessness, despair, uh, you know, of, of nothing I'm doing is helping, so at least helping to, be part of that healing process has got to be a, a tremendous uh, tool to to help people with.
1: I think that I think that's really um hits hits the nail on the head. It, these are folks that, like you're saying, they they don't really know what's going on. and the, the medical um fields don't either. You know, you do have long covid clinics, but most of them are really either just trying to treat specific symptoms as yeah. they are typically treated or trying to get people into research so we can understand better what's going on. Right. Uh and so it's it's very frustrating and frightening. Uh you know, I work with people who've lost their jobs, who who yeah. they're they're just in really dire straits. Yeah. And they were so, totally functional before.
0: Yeah. So so this and, and if you just want to like not touch this with a stick, I totally understand, but if you were to and please everybody hear the word speculate uh if you were to absolutely we're not holding salt to this in any way shape or form but but as somebody who's worked with folks do, do you have any just guesses let, let's even call it that of what might be happening here did you just and again if you don't want to touch that i totally respect that but I just like total guess uh, of anything mm-hmm. that might be causing this mysterious condition that I, we know so many people are struggling with.
1: Well, I, again, in 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 the spirit of speculation and guessing,
0: speculation I, and guessing—that's what yeah. this is, everybody.
1: I, I mean, I, I suspect it is that the virus is going after um, parts of the brain that uh, that. It's the sort of rhythmicity parts that drive the autonomic nervous system. Mm. Uh, I, I suspect that's part of what's going on, uh, whether that's directly going after those parts of the brain or secondarily to other problems. So again, reduced nutrition and blood flow to to sort of the rhythmic um, where the, the sort of or, or, or origins of the uh, autonomic nervous system, that would be my best guess, but it is a, a guess without a lot of, yeah, uh, not just data, but not also not a lot of expertise behind it,
0: which would somewhere, again, just as a speculation with a concussive like sin. I mean, that would right. that would at least make, you know, logical sense um, mm-hmm. as a guess, uh, which is all what we're talking about this. Any other just insights that we might not have uh, covered? I don't want to ma- I want to make sure I don't leave anything on the table um, uh, with this.
1: Well, about long COVID, I suppose, Um it's, it is a condition that is very complex. Uh, and, and like so many of these other complex conditions, it can range from minor annoyance to really life altering. Mm-hmm. As providers, uh, I think that it's an area that's very worth learning about. Yeah. Not just because it's interesting, but because there are probably hundreds of thousands of, if not more, people who have this condition, they may not even entirely know it right from the sort of client side of things as frustrating as it is and and it, it is beyond frustrating to try to deal with applied psychophysiology has something to say that's worth saying and at the very least the do no harm yeah uh, it, maxim is is certainly followed but there's there's a lot of at least anecdotal and more and more empirical evidence that heart rate variability and other sorts of uh, bio and neural feedback interventions can really be useful for this condition.
0: I love that. So I can't let you go here without asking my favorite question to folks like you who have who have been working in this field long before I even heard about the term heart rate variability. Uh, so su- such an honor to to ask this question is, I you know you've obviously seen the field develop for decades now. And, and I kind of wonder, I, I think that what you're doing right now in this whole conversation is a great example of, okay, you know, we have this tool, here's a condition, let's try to apply that tool to this condition and getting some really good results from doing so. As somebody who's been a, a pioneer working in this field, has seen it evolve over the years, have been, has been a teacher uh, to so many of us, where do you see heart rate variability, heart rate variability, biofeedback going in the next five to 10 years as, as the world is coming into to, to your realm and more and more people are, are hearing about this and getting excited about it? Uh, where, where do you see us uh, uh, going uh, with, with this concept you've been working with for decades?
1: Mm. Um, I think well, one of the obvious answers to that question is it's going home. Uh, it's going to the. It's going right into the the consumers' mm-hmm. fingers, yeah. uh, ear earlobes, things like that, which I think is actually fantastic. Um, I mean, I think the, the 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 system you have is really useful, and I have a number of clients using it, and and so I get to follow along with their heart rate variability, and I think that that's one of the main places that it's going. Uh, just the, and this is technology driven primarily, um, technology is getting better and less expensive so we can bring it home where the place that I I find some frustration with heart rate variability in general. And I I would love the field to go this way is that measures of HRV are not as good in the short term as they are for the longer term. Right. And of course, clinically we have to use it. Very, very short-term measures. Right. So I'd love to see more development of uh, of reliable and valid short-term measures of heart rate variability because right now, I mean, it's it's really good, but there's always the sense that it could just show us so much more if we could just figure out how to better measure it, yeah, which I'm sure is I mean, this is always the case with everything we do. but I, I just think that, the usefulness of heart rate variability or our understanding of the usefulness of it has just grown so much in the last even 10 years right. that it would be really nice to put some attention into figuring out how better to measure it, particularly clinically, which is always hard.
0: And I got to ask a follow up because you just hit on my current obsession with this is where we're starting to get with AI, the ability to really analyze an amazing amount of data in an incredibly short period of time. So obviously I'm looking at this from, you know, right now in our app, we do with the three minute morning readings or anytime readings, we do RMSSD because we we believe there's a lot of great research that as a short term and then as you get the baselines, obviously totally support that you oh, you know, you get a seven day average, it's gonna tell you way more than a three minute reading is. Yeah. Looking at like okay, you know, and I, I know that I got to be careful here because I, I wish we had maybe more metrics than we do, but like we also collect like high frequency during that three minute reading SDNN, max min, and I don't think there's like necessarily a framework of what do what do all those tell you when combined together. But but I kind of wonder like as I have you here, that's where my thinking's going with that issue is we're getting so much data, historically, I even think with the the fancy equipment you have in your office, it's kind of hard to put all that data together in real time. I think the real time piece is maybe getting solved with technology that I think the field doesn't necessarily give us a way to put those pieces together to say, Okay, we're going to learn this a little this this algorithm tells us a little bit more about your sympathetic or your 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 ventral you know or or whatever it might be but that that's where my mind is obsessed with right now is if we could put these pieces together do we really get anything more than rmssd like like do do we and i, right. I think the answer is probably but is it worth the effort to, to get maybe a, is it only a 2% increase in insight, or is it a 50% increase in insight?
1: Well, part of the problem, of course, is we don't know until we, (laughs) we try. Um, But actually, I wanted to highlight something you just said, um, which is another, I think, real advantage to bringing this stuff home. And that it's so much easier now to do these longer, Baselines, yeah. Uh, so if you're doing a, a, a one week or a two week or a one month baseline, that's so much more reliable than if I'm just getting my you know two to five minutes once yeah. a week or once every other week in in the yeah. office. So that's a, an incredible advantage, and I think that that there's a lot of insight into there, which is which I, I suspect that's one place you're looking, but that's where you can kind of put your or not not you, but we can put our attention. Into what can we tell from these longer baselines that might be useful? Um, but to go back to, to to a little bit more directly to your question, I I think you're absolutely right. I think we we need to to figure out what components are most useful. Yeah, and it, it's tough at the um it's tough to think of of combining them if only because in two minutes or five minutes I'm not getting a lot of very low frequency data. Yeah, and yeah. that's why you wear a harness for twenty four to forty eight hours. Right. So, w- w- the there's the question well, what does the very low frequency mean, and and it's hard to yeah. answer with what we're doing. Uh, but that said, I think that somehow combining even in, it's to figure out is it useful, I think makes a lot of sense. You yeah. know, I can I can increase somebody's RMSSD or max minus min when they're stressed. Yeah right? Yeah. In fact, that happens acutely. So it's hard to argue that higher RMSSD is always shows regulation when I can dysregulate you. As if, if I give you a sympathetic surge, your heart rate's going to zoom up and that increases variability in the short term. Yeah. So that's why, again, we need to figure out how to bridge, uh, or, or like you're asking, I mean, you're asking a really good question. Is it worth bridging yeah. or do we have enough? Well, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, but again, that's, that's, um, uh, smarter minds than mine are, are well, like yours are, are looking at it. So,
0: well, I, I don't know about that, but uh, I'll take the compliment. Um, uh, well, I, I'm just, it's been a pleasure because, you know, like I said, I've been like really fascinated, uh, with how heart rate variability, uh, biofeedback and just the tracking as well with long haul COVID. Um, I think uh, our field is now really I- ideally positioned uh, to to really have a major impact, and I-, I love I love the fact that folks like you see this opportunity of using your expertise, your knowledge to really, uh, hey, may- maybe we have a solution to part of this problem. May- maybe again, cure is too strong of a word. But to give help to regulate that nervous system, I'm sure for folks can be like they get even if they get 20, 30, 40, 60 percent uh, improvement in symptoms uh, that can that can keep them employed. And, mm-hmm. and it's such a a huge, I think, very interesting piece. So my friend, uh, there, there's always an invitation to come back as I your work that. progresses. Um, I've been a fan of yours. Uh uh, for since we first met, so uh, anytime you have any insight, uh, please feel fr- uh, free to come back. And uh, I, I'm glad I'm uh, in your journey and a uh, fellow passenger along with you on this.
1: No, and I, and I appreciate all the work you, you you've been doing. Um, I, I think your system is, is really good, and and there are there are a lot of you know uh, systems for home use and that use smartphones technology, but, but I, I really like the the model you've put together. Uh, and if I could just put in one more plug. Yes, please do. Um, and and this is actually primarily to the clinicians and other healthcare professionals, although, although others may be interested. That That is um, um, the, the Association for Applied Psychophysiology and Biofeedback, AAPB. AAPB. We publish a, a manual, a, a book called The uh, Evidence-Based Practice in Biofeedback and Neurofeedback. And the new edition has just come out. So go to aapb.org and order it. Uh, and it's, you know, particularly useful for those of us who do the work. Uh, it's always, it's sort of the closest book to my hand, I'm always grabbing it. But it's also, I think, really written, e- each chapter is sort of a brief summary of the data and the evidence that biofeedback and neurofeedback may work with a certain, certain condition. And there's, it's, the last session was 2016 uh it's the size of it has much more than doubled uh (laughs) and there's many more heart rate variability there's a lot more heart rate variability research so there's a lot more evidence showing the effectiveness of heart rate variability so i would really uh urge anybody who's interested to go grab the newest edition and um disclosure i I, i'm an editor i've written a couple chapters there's no financial interest but ina kazan is the lead editor in that in that book so Yeah, I I, was just before before before
0: you came on, I was like, I I was wondering how could I get all the editors on a podcast episode
1: to talk about uh, that. I had a, had them on uh, the uh, Healthy Brain, Happy Body podcast, um, so you can at least listen, listen to them. Uh, yeah, but it was maybe an we'll, interesting. We'll put talk. A, yeah. Maybe
0: we can put a link to that in the oh, show that, notes to always to, nice to get folks there uh, and, and promote that as well. Because hey, if you've already done it, uh, let let's just send them there. So.
1: Well, it's 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 always good to do it more than once I say.
0: but. <laughs> absolutely. Well, so well, Saul, we'll we'll put some information in show notes like I said. We'll get that link to that specific podcast um and other links uh and information about Saul but I I really appreciate your time my friend. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this no, has no, my, my been. Subject. I know we've been trying to get this interview scheduled for a while and uh um, I just I just appreciate you and your work um, in this topic because I, I one of the reasons I besides just your expertise is I know I have a I have a lot of conversations that include this issue um both from the professional and the people that are struggling uh, with it so uh, I was so happy to get your voice on our podcast here so, Um, and well, again, we'll, we'll get show notes and everything at optimalhrv.com. Um, Saul, thank you so much for your time and, uh, just want to appreciate everybody for tuning in.
1: Well, thank you all for inviting me.